Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, So That You May Believe, the study of the seven signs Jesus performed in the Gospel of John. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you. Please open in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We'll begin there at verse 43. And what we're doing is we're continuing a series, which we started last week, called So That You May Believe, in which we're looking at the seven signs that Jesus performed as recorded in the Gospel of John. And these signs are there so that we might believe. And so that's what this series is all about. So would you please bow your heads with me, and let's pray as we open God's Word. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful to speak to us. And Lord, we, we know that when your word goes out, it accomplishes that which you send it out to do. And so, Lord, we pray that your word would have its effect in our lives this morning. Lord, help us to not only understand what it means, but Lord, to, to understand what it means for our lives. And Lord, that we might respond appropriately. We pray that your spirit would Give us understanding and help us to respond to your word, that we might not just be hearers of it, but that we might be doers of it as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, seeing is believing? Or maybe you've heard someone say, or you've said yourself, I'll believe it when I see it. Now, a lot of people use those phrases and express those sentiments. And I guess it comes from a, a desire to want to know the truth and to not be misled in any way or tricked into something. But I think it's a kind of funny thing to say, because the fact is, if you really lived by that principle, if you were consistent with that principle, then you wouldn't believe in almost anything. Uh, for example, I've never been to Africa. I've never been to Japan. Yet, does that mean that I should not believe that those places exist because I haven't seen them? Or how about if you buy a product at the store and it says on the product, on the packaging, it says that it's been checked for safety. It's been checked that it was properly engineered to make sure that using that product is safe. Should I not use any products if I wasn't in the room with the engineers, watching them draw up the plans, looking at the prototypes, if I wasn't there when the safety regulators came to check it out? Listen, if I really live by this principle, if I don't see it, then I won't believe it. That would exclude so many things from your life and, and from the world. And so all of us, as we go about our days, there are a lot of times when we choose to believe what someone says and simply take their word for it. And that, there's a word for that, by the way. It's called faith. The Bible tells us that this is what faith is. Faith is believing something before you see it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we're told that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. But here's the thing. When we talk about faith and when the Bible encourages us to have faith, understand that it's not talking about blind faith. Blind faith is faith that is based on nothing. It's faith that it believes without any evidence or without any basis. But when you exercise faith by trusting in what someone says, for example, that's almost never blind faith. There's usually a reason why you trust what that person says is true. Maybe it's because that person has proven themselves to be trustworthy, or because the thing they are saying seems plausible based on the other things you already know to be true. Well, in the Gospel of John, the writer, John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, is telling us 
about the things he saw Jesus do over the course of the three years in which he walked with him and followed him. And the reason John is writing this book is to give us evidence for why we should believe in Jesus. In the opening chapter of the book, in chapter 1, John tells us who Jesus is, why Jesus came, what Jesus has to offer you, and how you can receive it. And what he tells us is that Jesus is God, come to us in order to save us from darkness and death and to give you the light of life eternally. And the way to receive that is by believing in him. Now, then that begs a question, doesn't it? It leaves a question. The question that someone might ask is, they might say, okay, but why should I believe in Jesus? Like, why should I believe that these things you're saying about Jesus are actually true? Are you asking for blind faith? Or is there actually evidence to back this up? And here in the Gospel of John, John is giving us a case. He's presenting a case. He's showing us the evidence for why we should believe in Jesus. And one of the ways that he does that, especially in the first half of the book, is by highlighting seven signs which Jesus performed. And these seven signs point to who Jesus is and what he came to do. Whereas the other gospel writers talk about Jesus' miracles, John refers to Jesus' miracles as signs. And at the end of the book, John tells us what his purpose and goal was in pointing out these signs Jesus performed. He says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, here in John chapter 4, as we now look at the second of the seven signs in the Gospel of John, John wants to show us that rather than having the attitude of seeing is believing, instead, faith in Jesus is about believing even when you haven't seen it yet, right? In other words, let's put it this way. It's choosing to believe based on his word and based on who he is. And as you do that, the Bible says, as you do that, you will actually experience a miracle of God in your own life as you are transformed by him, as you are redeemed and transformed by him. And then your transformed life can actually become a sign itself which points people to Jesus. So the title of today's message is The Assurance of Things Not Seen. And what we're going to see in this passage today is this. Jesus' miracles were signs which pointed to something beyond themselves, and your life can be too if you believe in him. So every week I give you a sentence. It's a summary statement, but it's also our outline for studying through this text. And so here's what it is today. Jesus' miracles were signs pointing to something beyond themselves, and your life can be too if you believe in him. So we're going to take that and break it down as we study the passage today. The first part is this, Jesus's miracles. Let's talk about that first. John 4, beginning in verse 43, says this, After the two days, he, Jesus, departed for Galilee. Last time we saw Jesus in chapter 2, where he performed his first of the signs, right? It was at the wedding at Cana in northern Israel, where he performed his first sign, which was turning water into wine. 
Now, it says there in chapter 2 that after that wedding, Jesus went with his disciples to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. Now, there were three main feasts for which the Jewish people from all over the world, every able-bodied Jewish person was expected to go up to Jerusalem every year for these three feasts, the Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So at these times, every able-bodied Jewish person from wherever they were from, was expected to go up to Jerusalem if they could. And these events, what they celebrated was they celebrated God's past faithfulness and God's present provision. So there was Jesus in Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. And it says there in chapter 2, verse 23, that when he was in Jerusalem at the feast of Passover, many people believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. So at the Passover festival, Jesus performed signs, and it got a lot of people's attention. Well, once the Passover celebrations were over, Jesus and his disciples began to make their way back from Jerusalem, which is in the south of Israel, up back up to Galilee, which is in the north of Israel. During Jesus' ministry, he and his disciples were based in a place called Capernaum, which is on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. But here's the deal. In between Jerusalem in the south and Capernaum in the north, there was a region called Samaria. Now, Samaria was inhabited by a separate ethnic group called the Samaritans. And there was a lot of hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. They didn't get along. And so most Jewish people would go out of their way to avoid entering Samaria. And what they would do is they would travel all the way around Samaria rather than passing through it. But Jesus, unlike the majority of Jewish people, Jesus instead chose to travel through Samaria, we read there in chapter 4. And rather than avoiding the Samaritan people, Jesus engaged the Samaritans in conversation. We read in the earlier part of chapter 4 about how Jesus met a Samaritan woman at a well and struck up a conversation with her. And quickly their conversation turned to spiritual matters. And Jesus explained to her that he was, in fact, the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world who had been promised by the prophets in the scriptures. And then their conversation went from spiritual to very personal. Jesus revealed that even though he had never met her before, he knew everything about her. He knew that she had been rejected and mistreated by men throughout her life. He knew that she longed to be loved and cherished and longed to have her emotional needs satisfied. And Jesus told her there at the well, he said, the only way you will ever find the satisfaction that you desperately desire is through me. That's what he told her. After all, the reason Jesus had come was to rescue her from the curse of sin and to bring her into a relationship with God. And it was only in that relationship that her deepest longings would ever actually be fulfilled and satisfied. Jesus described it as being like how when you drink water, it might quench your thirst, but it'll only quench your thirst for a moment. And it's the same way with our souls, right? We turn to things like romance or hobbies or accomplishments to quench our thirst, the thirst in our souls. And yet, it only lasts for a moment, that satisfaction, doesn't it? It's only a momentary fix. A few moments later, we find ourselves once again struggling with those same things. Emptiness, you know, wanting to be filled, longing for true, lasting satisfaction. But Jesus came to give you the one thing that can truly satisfy your soul forever because you were created 
to be in a relationship with God, and your heart will be restless until it finds its rest in him. Well, here's the thing. That woman not only heard what Jesus said and understood it and believed it, she then went one step further. She went into the town where she lived, and she told others about her encounter with Jesus. And this is what we read there in verse 28. It says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out to the town went out of the town, and they were coming to him. And it says there in verse 39, a few verses later, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And then verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. That's an important verse. Take note of that. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now I want you to notice this. The Samaritans believed, verse 41, because of Jesus' word. That's why they believed, because of Jesus' word. And what did they believe about Jesus? They believed that he was the Savior of the world. Keep those in mind as we continue on. Again, keeping that in mind, look at verse 43 one more time. After the two days, that's the two extra days that he spent in Samaria, Jesus departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself knew, verse 44, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Jesus is now about to return to the area where he grew up. And John, as the writer, is preparing us for the lack of faith that Jesus is going to encounter in the area where he grew up. It says in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, it's really interesting, we read about how Jesus, when he first began his ministry, he went to Nazareth, his hometown, and he was given the opportunity to preach in the synagogue. And it says Jesus, as he preached in the synagogue there in his hometown, Nazareth, he opened up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He read a scripture about the Messiah, and he said, this scripture is fulfilled today in your hearing. Jesus was declaring, I am the Messiah. I have come. Here I am. And not only did the people not believe what he said. Not only did they reject what he says, it said they actually chased him out of town and tried to throw him off a cliff. One of the things I like to do when we go to Israel, we go to this place where they tried to throw Jesus off the cliff. I think it's so fascinating that, that this was their reaction. Not only did they say, no, you're not the Messiah, they tried to kill him. Well, it says in verse 46, now Jesus is coming here in chapter 4 back to Cana, Cana is a neighboring village to Nazareth, right? They're in the same general area. He's coming back to the area where he grew up. But here's the thing. This time, the people of his hometown are going to receive him differently and react to him differently than they did that first time when he preached in the synagogue. This time, it says in verse 45, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now again, this is interesting because verse 44 prepared us that Jesus is about to encounter a lack of faith in his hometown. But then it says that the people actually welcomed him because they saw the miracles that he performed during the Passover festival in Jerusalem. 
So which is it? Did the people disbelieve him or did the people welcome him? Well, here's the key, and this is important. What John is going to show us is a contrast between the faith of the Samaritans, which was genuine, and the faith of the Galileans, which was not so genuine. You see, the Samaritans, remember, they had believed. Why? Because they heard Jesus' word. They believed based on his word. And what did they believe about him? That he was the savior of the world. Now, in contrast to that, the Galileans, they're only interested in Jesus because he can perform miracles. They're not looking to Jesus to be their savior. They're looking to Jesus to be someone who can do something for them by performing miracles. Now, now let me show you why we know that that is the case. Look again now at verse 46. So Jesus came to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come to come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Capernaum is located on the Sea of Galilee. From Cana, it's about 20 miles distance. Those aren't, by the way, they're not an easy 20 miles. If you ever go to this area, what you'll see, it's all hills and valleys, mountains, large mountains, right? And so these were not easy miles, these 20 miles. Very hilly, mountainous region. If you were to run the entire way, if you could do that physically, it would take about four hours to cover that distance. And what this tells us is that this man was exceedingly desperate as he came to Jesus. His son was sick at the point of death, and this man, despite his wealth, despite his power, he is unable to help his son. And so he's in a place of absolute desperation with nowhere to turn for help except to Jesus. And just imagine this. This man has left the bedside of his dying son in this last-ditch effort. The doctors aren't able to help anymore, and you can just see this man, a father who loves his son, running, hiking, scrambling over these hills, a marathon distance, over hill and valley, until he finally arrives where Jesus is, and he collapses at Jesus' feet, exhausted. And he tells Jesus, my son is sick. Please come to my house and heal my son. I wonder if any of you can relate to this official. Because here's the thing about him, right? This official did not come to Jesus seeking a teacher from whom he could learn. He didn't come to Jesus seeking a savior for his soul. No, the, the one and only reason this man came to Jesus is because he had a problem that he could not fix. And he's turning to Jesus for help with his situation. I'll tell you, I've met so many people over the years who have reached out to me or they've reached out to the church because their marriage is failing and they don't know where else to turn, or they've gotten into trouble with the law, or they're just struggling in life, or they have a problem with addiction, or someone they love is sick and they've run out of options. They've got nowhere else to turn. And so they say, well, maybe Jesus can help. Listen, if that's you, I just want to tell you this. Jesus can help you. And if you come to him, you've come to the right place. Absolutely. But I want you to notice what Jesus says to this man. It's almost surprising. Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, doesn't that sound a little bit harsh, right? Like this guy's son is dying, and Jesus is like, well, you know, you, if you don't see signs and wonders, you're not even going to believe. 
And why would Jesus respond so harshly to this man? Well, the key to understanding this is you have to understand something, and that is that the word you here in this phrase that Jesus says is actually in the plural. So Jesus is not making a statement about this man in particular. Jesus is making a statement about the Jewish people in general. That in general, the people in Galilee were unwilling to believe in him unless they saw signs and wonders. Remember, the Samaritans, though, had believed in Jesus without seeing any miracles. They believed on him because of his word. But when it came to the Jews in Galilee, when Jesus first came to them, simply preaching the gospel, remember, they tried to kill him by throwing him off a cliff. And now, though, they're welcoming him with open arms. They're flocking to him in droves because now they know that he can perform miracles. Their attitude about him has completely changed. Listen, on some level, I think that all of us desire to have somebody who can just snap their fingers and make all our problems go away. Someone who can snap their fingers and make all of our dreams and wishes come true. This is why we have stories and tales about genie in a bottle, right? Who you find and you rub the lamp and you say the right words and he grants all of your wishes and gets rid of all of your problems in an instant. This is the reason why people play the lottery. It's this hope that there would be something that could happen, that could change everything in an instant, that could take away your problems, that could make your wildest dreams come true. And so when Jesus began performing miracles, the attitude of the Galileans changed. Whereas before, when it was just about his word, they wanted to kill him. And now they're interested. Why? They want to see miracles. They want to experience miracles. They want Jesus to do something for them. But here's the question. And this is the question which Jesus is really bringing to the forefront here. And it's an important question for all of us to think about and answer for ourselves. Listen, what if, God doesn't give you the sign that you wanted. I want you to ask that question of yourself. Will you still believe? What if you pray for something and God doesn't give you what you asked for? Will you still believe? The fact is that God has spoken and revealed himself in many ways. God has revealed himself through the prophets. He's revealed himself through his creation. He's revealed himself through the scriptures. Ultimately, God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So the question Jesus is bringing up is exceedingly important for all of us to consider, and that's this. Will you still believe in him if God doesn't give you the things that you want or if he doesn't give you the things that you ask for? Listen, we could all use a miracle in some area of our lives. All of us could. But if you come to Jesus because you want him to help you with the problems in your life, which is a perfectly fine reason to come to him, just think through this. What will you do if he doesn't give you exactly what you wanted or what you asked for? Will you still believe? Will you still follow him? Let me put it to you this way. Do you worship God primarily because you consider him useful to you or because you consider him beautiful? Because you consider him useful or because you consider him beautiful? I'll tell you what, those are two very different ways of approaching God and they lead to very different outcomes. And here's why. If your relationship with God is primarily based on you considering him useful because he can do things for you, then what about when he isn't useful to you? Because I'll tell you the truth, there will come a time in your life when following God will not be useful to you. 
Think about Jesus' disciples. Was following Jesus useful to them? Not really, right? They, they lost their jobs. They lost their friends. They eventually lost their lives. Some of them literally lost their heads because they followed Jesus. You know, none of those things would have happened to them if Jesus hadn't come into their lives. But the reason the disciples followed Jesus wasn't because they considered him useful to them. It was because they saw who he was and they saw that he was beautiful. You see, to see God as beautiful means that you recognize his goodness. You recognize his glory, his grace, his power, his majesty, everything that makes him truly worthy of praise. In other words, to see God as beautiful means that you seek him because of who he is, not just because of what he can potentially do for you. Here's the thing. With God, what we have is not a genie in a bottle. Instead, what we have is a father in heaven. And that is infinitely better. I think sometimes we think that what we want is a genie in a bottle. But what we have with God is not a genie in a bottle. It's a father in heaven. And it makes all the difference. But I'm here to tell you, it's infinitely better. Because think about this. All those stories about the, the guy who finds the genie in the bottle, right? The guy who finds the genie on the island right in the middle of nowhere. You know what those stories are all about? If you get down to it, the stories aren't about, hey, cool, this guy found this thing and then he got what he wanted and everything turned out great. No, the story is always about one thing and that's this. Sometimes getting exactly what you wanted is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. That's what the stories are about. It's that sometimes getting what you wish for isn't actually the best thing for you. You see, rather than a genie who exists to grant your every wish, what God has given us in himself, he's given us a father who knows you best and loves you the most and is absolutely committed to giving you exactly what you need, not necessarily everything that you want. So Jesus is addressing those who came to him, hoping that he would be their genie in a bottle, their own personal miracle worker. And he's asking, will you still believe if I don't do the miracles that you're hoping for? Will you follow me because of who I am, not just because of what you hope I can do for you? Because here's what Jesus would say. I have come to do something bigger and better than just fixing the momentary problems in your life here and now. You see, so many of us, right, we come to God and all we really want is just a Band-Aid on the problems of life. But understand, Jesus has come to do something so much bigger, something so much better, not just to give a Band-Aid, but to give a kingdom, a kingdom which will last forever, in which everything that is broken in this world will be made new. And the miracles he does, they are signs pointing to that kingdom, so rather than fixating on the signs themselves and putting your hope in those signs, instead put your faith and your hope in the kingdom which the signs point to. That brings us to the next part of our sentence. Jesus' miracles were signs which pointed to something beyond themselves. You see, this man's son is still sick, and so he asked Jesus again in verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. In verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Rather than going to the man's house, which is what he requested, Jesus simply spoke, and he declared that the man's son would be healed. And now, think about it. This man is faced with a decision, isn't he? 
Will he take Jesus at his word? Will he believe what Jesus said, even though he can't yet see with his eyes? We're told at the end of that verse, in verse 50, the man did believe. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. Verse 51, and as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them what hour he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, that's about one o'clock, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour that Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed, and all his household. And it says in verse 54, now this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Remember, Jesus' miracles were signs which pointed to something beyond themselves. This miracle was an amazing gift, both to this child and a blessing for this family. But that isn't the only reason Jesus did it. The purpose of this miracle was to be a sign pointing to the kingdom that Jesus was going to bring. See, just as Jesus healed this boy who was sick, the Bible tells us that in the kingdom which is to come, there will be no more sickness, no more tears, no more death forever. Do you see what Jesus is doing? With each of these signs, Jesus is building a picture, kind of like pieces to the puzzle. Here's piece number one. Here's piece number two. And as it comes together, you start to see the picture develop. Jesus is building the picture of who he is and what his kingdom will be like. He is God. Do you remember that just as God created the world by the power of his word, now Jesus is showing that he is able to heal by just the power of his word even when he's not there physically present. And Jesus is the Messiah, the one who has come to usher in a kingdom where sickness will be abolished forever. This sign is a preview of that kingdom which is to come. Now, the fact that Jesus was able to heal this man's son remotely, that's really important. Because on the one hand, remember that the Gospel of John is the last of the Gospels that was written historically. It was written during a time when most of the people who were Christians, who were followers of Jesus, had not seen Jesus in the flesh. And so this miracle would have been very encouraging to them, and it's encouraging to us who live today, right? And here's what it tells us, that even though Jesus is not physically present, he is fully able and capable of performing miracles and doing his work in the world, even without his physical presence here. Furthermore, the fact that Jesus healed this man's son remotely, it gave him an important challenge. Would he believe Jesus purely based on his word, like the Samaritans had? To his credit, this man did. Either way, this man's son was healed, right? His healing wasn't contingent on whether the man believed or not. But the question is, would he believe based on Jesus' word, or would he only believe if he could see it? At the end of John's gospel, we see one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, struggling with this same issue. At that point, Jesus had resurrected, but Thomas had said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Later, Jesus met with Thomas and allowed him to touch his wounds. And Thomas did believe. And it says there that Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
The kind of belief that Jesus is encouraging us to have is faith, which is willing to trust him based on his word. Not only did this man believe, but it says that he went home, he talked to his family about Jesus, and they all believed. And so that's the question for you and I today as we read this text. God has given us his word. Will you believe what it says? Will you believe what it says about who he is? Will you believe what it says about what he has done to save you? Will you believe what it says about how he is going to usher in his kingdom forever? Are you willing to take him at his word? Because the Bible tells us that when you do that, as you believe, the greatest miracle of all takes place inside of you as you believe. And that brings us to the final part of our sentence. Jesus' miracles were signs which pointed to something beyond themselves. And your life can be too if you believe in him. Think about it. This boy here in John chapter 4. He was healed from sickness. His life was snatched out of the jaws of death. Remember what John says at the end of, his, uh, end of this book. He says, These things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So just as this boy was healed of his sickness and brought from death to life, Jesus came to do that same thing for you on a spiritual level. In the letter to the Ephesians, we're told that all of us, because we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, we are spiritually sick, even dead in our trespasses and sins. And yet the good news of the gospel is that because of God's tremendous love for you, Jesus came to save you. He was the only person who ever lived a truly good life. And by dying a sacrificial death on the cross to pay the price for your sins, and by rising from the grave to defeat death, because Jesus did those things for you, even though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God has made you alive together with Christ. And the way to receive that gift of his grace to you is by faith. Remember, faith is the assurance of things not seen. Faith means taking God at his word. And the salvation of your soul, the redemption of your life, that is a miracle of epic proportions. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that in Christ we are now new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. Salvation and transformation are miracles that God does within you, inside of you. And here's the thing I want you to see. Once you have received and experienced that miracle of salvation, as you're continually living in that miracle of transformation, as God changes you by his Holy Spirit from the inside out, remember, Jesus' miracles were meant to be signs which pointed to something beyond themselves. And God wants that to be true of your life as well. Your life, in other words, can be a miracle of God's grace. And as such, it can be a sign for other people to see, which points them to Jesus and to his kingdom. Friends, may that be true of our lives this week, that as God works in you, in your life, that your life would be a sign that points other people to Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus' miracles were signs which pointed to something beyond themselves, and your life can be too if you believe in him. Would you please bow your heads with me, and let's pray. 
You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com. 